Good day, everyone, and welcome to the BMC Getting Started with the BPA Administration webinar. Today's conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Cedric Rawls. Please go ahead. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, good morning, uh, wherever you are. Thank you all for joining the call. Today we'll cover uh, our next best practice webinar of Getting Started with BPA Administration. Uh, as a reminder, um, for those who uh, may need additional numbers. There are local numbers in the uh, the window that you can see now, and we can uh, provide other numbers as needed. Any questions that you have, we ask that you post them in the Q&A window so that we can respond to them appropriately. At this time, I will turn it over to Tim Hill from our team who will cover the content today. Thanks. Tim, take it away. Great. Thanks, Cedric. Uh, good morning, everybody, or whatever time it is where you are. Good. Um, so today we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about uh, getting started with BPA administration. Um, so the the basic disclaimer is that uh, you know this information is available from us, and it may change according to various reasons. Um, but anyway, there's no guarantees or warranties on what what we're saying here because it is all subject to change. So uh, the focus today, we want to focus on what's current with uh, BPA, which is the current version is 9.0 and Service Pack 3. Uh, most of the presentation is going to cover uh, things that are available in 9.0, although pretty much everything will also be available at 7.5.10. And then we will be having more presentations in the future, so stay tuned. So for the agenda, we want to cover some of these things. I know there may be a few new people, uh, in which case you know, the, it's probably a good idea to have a level set so we all understand what we're talking about. Uh, for you old timers, you've probably seen some of this before, so you can review it or close your eyes. Um, we're going we're gonna to cover some installation recommendations, some things that uh, have to do with after the installation, uh, patches. Um, Procedure General Manager and uh, some getting help and troubleshooting references. Um, if, if at any time you have questions, um, please put them in the Q&A window. That way they can answer, they can be answered right away. Okay, so the first slide is, is basically an overview of how it, how uh, BPA works. Um, so we've got a visualizer database, which is actually the central repository for all the, the capacity planning and performance data. And we have various collectors that collect data from various, um, I'm looking for my pointer here. Pointer, okay. There we go. So here's our capacity planning database, uh, our console. We have collectors that collect data from VMware hosts via proxy. Uh, we also have window, Windows proxy, which collects data from Windows machines. Um, the proxies basically only work for, uh, they're basically Windows-based, and they'll only work on Windows. The proxy actually has to live on a Windows machine, and you can use a proxy for Unix and Linux. Uh, for Unix and Linux, the arrangement is that we collect data from a, a, stand, a standalone autonomous agent. From the data that we collect, it goes into the repository. Um, we're able to view that data through the perceiver component, which has some subcomponents, a general manager, virtualization planner. Um, we'll cover a little bit about some of those today. And all the data that comes out of Visualizer out of the box is available, I'm sorry, from the database comes out from Visualizer, which is another Windows-based uh, component that runs on your desktop or a larger server. Bear with me here. Okay. <clears throat> So the components that, that make this all work is we have a service daemon that uh, handles the communications from the console to the agent on any managed computer. Uh, so 
uh, from that, it will communicate with the perform agent, which, which will live on the managed computer. And then the collector, which is talked to by the agent. And then the communication flows back through to the service daemon. Pretty benign stuff. Uh, important when things don't flow right, or if, if you would have a problem or something, then, then this stuff is really helpful to figure out you know, which component is it that's giving me grief. A little bit more about the components. We have manager, which, uh, which is actually your control for your data collection and your automation. Um, analyze, which actually takes the data, the raw data that comes in and gets, uh, gets munched up um, and transformed into metrics, performance metrics, capacity metrics. Uh, predict um, is used in, in conjunction with uh, analyze most often. Um, and what that does is it lets you uh, do basic modeling or answer what if questions. You can actually get in and build a model for that. Um, more lower level type work, although it's very interesting. Uh, visualizer, which takes all the information from Analyze and Predict, uh, and, it, and it puts it in the, in the repository in the central database. Automator, which is a subcomponent of Visualizer, which actually takes uh, the information from Manager um, and actually works with uh, Visualizer to inject the information into the database. It also performs some database maintenance functions, which at some point in your, your usage of BPA, you will probably use something in, in Automator to, to manage the database or to provide maintenance for it. Uh, investigate, which is a real-time monitor, um, actually near real-time, uh, uh, and it's a component that lives in the console also. And you may or may not have used this. Um, but it is, it is very useful at times. So in the perceiver component, we have a viewer, uh, which is a, a web-based component, which is actually the front end to the whole perceiver uh, component. We have virtualization planner, which is, uh, allows you to do uh, virtualization for virtual servers or standalone servers uh, if you want to do sort of uh, larger 30,000-foot um, uh, capacity planning. So it's not, as, uh, uh, it's not as detailed as something you would get directly out of PREDICT. However, if you have a lot of machines, uh, it's probably not likely you're going to have the amount of time that you might need to run individual PREDICT models against all these machines. So Virtualization Planner will let you do that on a larger scale. Uh, which, is, which can be a really big help, especially when they say, well, we need this inf information, we need an answer on this by the end of the day. Uh, virtualization Planner is a good way to do that. It's very fast. Uh, it works on the data that comes back uh, that lives in the, uh, the Visualizer database, as does everything else in Perceiver. Uh, General Manager, we're going to talk a little bit about this today, but basically it allows you to, to manage multiple consoles from a single location. Um, Pretty cool. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, things uh, we do in the installation process. So one of the things that's, that's really good to do before you start the install um, is take a look at the documentation. Um, it's, always, it's always a good place to start, uh, even though you may have done this before. There may have been some changes, some subtle changes that actually can cause you a lot of irritation. So uh, take a look at the documentation before you start. Um, if you've got a test environment, it's always good to go play there. Um, if, you, if you blow it up, it's okay. Nobody gets impacted. Uh, best, you know, you can experiment with it. You can take it apart. You can break it. Um, it's a good way to go if you've got the resources in your environment to do it. If you don't, then um, Another possibility to do something like that is put it on your, install a Windows-based uh, version of on, on your laptop or your desktop and play with it there. That way you get a good sense as to you know, what does, how does the product work together. Uh, 
get a sense of how you're going to back up your production database. Uh, you know, make sure you get that scheduled with the backup uh, crew uh, because it's always good to have a backup of the database should something happen to it. They're not uh, surprised by you saying, well, geez, we didn't have a backup of it and we lost all our data. That's not typically likely to happen, but it's always good to have that uh, back backup. The installation takes place on the Unix and the Windows machines, and it, and it requires an ex-Windows uh, um, client and server. So uh, I know there were previous installations where you were able to just go in and cut and paste, and you could cut and paste the URL into your browser, and that would actually allow you to do the installation. But the newer installation requires that you run ex-Windows, so you need to you need to have that all worked out before you start, uh, it'll keep your frustration level down and, and make things go much smoother. Um, and always think about when you, when you go to do your installation, make sure you get the latest patches in the service pack after the install. So plan, plan to put that on because, you know, there's, once you get this thing up into production, one of the things that always happens is you never get the time to go put, put up the patches or the service packs on. So to get it done in the beginning, um, you're off to a good start, and then you've got some, some time to worry about uh, doing, it, doing it later. Or actually, you don't have to worry about it, doing it later. Um, one of the things that's, uh, that comes up fairly often is, you know, how big should your database be? So typically, uh, and your mileage may vary depending on the amount of activity that takes place on your servers, but uh, if you kind of plan for 1,000 to 1,500 servers per, per schema, um, you'd probably be okay. Um, this, is, this actually works best. You'll end up with multiple schemas uh, or multiple instances, which tend to be more expensive, but not necessarily so, depending on the platform, whether you use Oracle or SQL Server. Um, most people would just build multiple schemas. Uh, a good idea with multiple schemas uh, on the same database instances, if you can um, put the schemas in different, different databases on different disks. So uh, a little thought as to how you're going to spread this out because you want to eliminate as much contention as possible. Uh, for example, if you're working in different time zones, that's maybe not as, uh, as critical because 12 o'clock doesn't happen at the same time everywhere. Um, and typically the way the processes work is uh, most of the data comes back around midnight, um, or that's a, the, the general best practice. So just something else to give some thought to. Um, so if, if you'd like some more information about this, I see a little arrow that says Timothy Hill on here. Can you guys see that? Oh, that's right. You can't hear me. <laughs> okay. So uh, if you want some more information about the visualizer sizing, you can, you can go to this link here, uh, and it'll give you uh, ample information to get going on this. So another thing that you want to give some thought to is, uh, you know, when you go out to get the executable. So before you start, get a, get a directory to hold the downloads. Uh, it's, it's always better to do that beforehand because then you can give some thought as well, where do I want to put these things before I, you know, parse them out and send them in, into my environment. Uh, then you would actually log into the website, uh, which is URL here. And one of the things that, that I find myself um, is that in the past it's been rather difficult to locate something that I'm looking for. So I put some information here to to tell you how to how to find the things in the EPD site. Um, so basically, you would you know locate PMC Performance Assurance, find and expand, and and, and so on down the line. Uh, find the visualizer patch, uh, find perceiver. Now these items here are really important if you want to if you're going to install the whole product. So you want to make sure you get all this stuff. more. Uh, when, when you're in EPD, there's checkboxes for the files and documents that you want. You just check them off. There's two, two mechanisms you can get it. There's a download, which, uh, which 
basically starts it immediately and lets you uh, start the download. And then there's a download manager which lets you grab multiple files and it basically sends it. Uh, it sends you an email with with the information and you can download it from there. So uh, after you've got it all planned out, then we get to the installation. So again, I, I, I want to recommend that you go to the installation guide and take a look. Um, even if you've done it before, uh, it's always a good idea to find out, you know, is there really anything different that, that I need to know about? Um, if possible, start the install early in the day, in the week. Um, that way you've got more time and you're not crunched for time if, uh, by the weekend. Uh, because invariably, nobody's around on the weekend. Um, at, at least that's been my experience when I was when I was doing this at uh, my own site. Um, get a sense as to you know how much time do you have to do this. If nobody cares, well then you're you know you're good to go. But if somebody has a, a window that you need to work around, you know figure out what that is, and then you know refer back to the installation so that you understand uh, what's involved in case you should have have a problem that you need to muck with. Uh, the other thing, uh, and this has happened to me quite a few times, is make sure what you're installing in the case of uh, an agent is where it usually gets me, is make sure you put the right agent on the right box. Uh, because sometimes if you put the wrong agent on the wrong box, you may install, uh, but if it does install, you're going to have problems and it's going to be a mystery because you're, you know, the expectation is that, hey, I just put this in and it, it it's not working, and uh, so I've had this happen to me uh, before, and I've actually seen cases where this happens to other customers too. So it's not an unusual thing um, to to do. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. And again, as we talked about before in the pre pre stages, make sure you put the latest service pack and the patches on. It's going to fix a lot of problems that you may or may not see. Um, it's okay if you don't see them, but it's not okay if you do see them. And if you put the latest pack on, um, set of patches on, then it allows our development or support to work on uh, the latest code. So, and typically you'll get a better response. It's always easier to fix something newer than it is for us to go backwards a couple versions and try to figure it out. Um, Service Pack 3, which is the, the version that's current, is a full product installation. Uh, so you don't have to have anything installed already. So you can just go right to Service Pack 3. Uh, here's the, uh, the link for the docs that talks about the requirements. Again, I, you know, I, can't, uh, I can't stress this is enough. Uh, you know, in particular in the case of Windows where things, uh, you know, typically my own experience has been, you know, I usually get a CD or I get something to install and I just, you know, go install it, and I don't even bother to read the directions because I figure, well, what can go wrong? Uh, but in this particular case, it's good to take a look at the the, um, the requirements and the installation instructions just to make sure, because there are a lot of moving parts, and you want to make sure you get them all covered. Okay. So, so things to think about after you've installed the product is you've got some logs. Excuse me. So you're not left in the dark if things don't work. So these are the locations of the logs. And you know, logs get created from the install. Uh, they get created from the configuration uh, portion of the install, which will give you some additional information after the install has completed. Uh, for example, what I mean is uh, you actually can run the install, and, and the, the, um, the interaction will come back from the screen and will say, you know, complete. Uh, and that's great, and then you go away. You don't read the log, um, which has happened to me very often because you know I've done this a few times. And, uh, but you know, uh, 30 minutes later, when I'm trying to fire up some of the agents or something, and I find out something's not working, uh, I go back and I can look at the log and say, well, what's not working right? What failed? Um, so that's a good place. And I never know where the log is while I'm doing this. So. Uh, and I never know where the log is when I finish the install, and I have to go looking in the manual for it. So it's always helpful to, you know, to get a sense to where are the logs, even if you know you won't have a problem. It's always good to have that. Common operational logs is uh, 
on the Unix or Linux systems, uh, the, the dollar best one home variable, which is set, um, that's, uh, that's the default. Um, the logs are in there, and in Windows, it's in this directory here. Uh, one of the other things that's uh, not all that new is, is how to get the logs from a remote machine if you can't log in. So this is actually a really good document for that. It tells you how to get those logs without having to go to the machine. Um, it's a pretty big deal. It's pretty nice. Um, one of the things about your database is, uh, you know, it's good to summarize your data. So give some thought to creating a separate summary database. There's information in the uh, in the visualizer manual in the documentation and automator. Uh, it's really easy to do. Just create a summary database, send your summary data there, and instead of keeping it all together with a large, larger portion of the database, so let's keep a longer period of time. So maybe you maybe you want to save more than three years of summarized data. Well, the odds are pretty good that you're not going to want detailed data for three years, even one year. So by keeping a summary, you can you can go back so many years and say, well, these are the trends on our systems based on. Um, you know, depending on the business that you guys are in. And, and you can get a good sense as to, you know, where do things go? What months of the year are busy? Uh, from a summarized perspective, that's really good because really what you're looking at is you're looking at the, the shape uh, so that you can tell, you know, what, what month is busy? Is it, is it December, the end of the year? Is it, the, is it in fall when school starts? Or is it over the holidays? And that's typically predicated on your business that you do. Uh, and then again, when the database gets so big, uh, then, it, then it gets really slow. So one of the things you want to you want to plan to do once you get up implemented is is you want to use Automator to delete the detailed data uh, out of your database over a certain certain period of time. So for example, if uh, if you don't believe that you need detailed data going back for six months, and summarized data is fine, then delete the detailed data out of your uh, your um, detailed database. Uh, there's, there's, the chances are probably pretty good that you're not going to go back six months and build a detailed uh, model. And summarized data is more than adequate to build a model uh, to get a sense as to what your growth rates will be. So, and by keeping the database smaller, it keeps the processing faster. Uh, it allows you to add more nodes to the database. So, you know, there's a general benefit overall. Uh, some of the, the data management options. Uh, in the, if you're running a Windows machine, there are certain files that you don't want to delete that are available in the manager scripts property directory. And you can find it when you're building your uh, manager run. So you don't want to delete these particular files uh, because they're used for manager recovery. Uh, the Unix consoles also have a, a similar thing. Um, and there are, there are these files. And, and you know you want to hang on to them, so uh, you never know when the day is going to come when you might want to run a manager recovery. Uh, and, and if they're not there, well, then it, it gets kind of sticky on how to how to get the data back. Um, one of the other things that's really good when when uh, when you're getting started is give some thought. When the product comes in, we give uh, a whole set of standard directories that are provided with the product, which may work well, uh, or you may find that they're a little clumsy for, for, um, for your use. So one of the things that you can do is you know, give some thought to setting up a file structure that is related to the function of the, the tasks or processes or scripts that policies that you'll create, and keep those separate. Uh, that way it's easier to figure out, well, this analyzed file goes with this policy, um, it goes with this domain, it goes with this commands file. Keep them all together if you can. Um, you may not get this the first day. You may not be ready to do this, but it's something as you work with the product, you'll find out that there's, there's got to, you know, you may ask yourself, is there a better way to do this? And we've got a couple examples here. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So if you're going to set up a, a specialized run, try to separate that from your daily runs. So you want to keep the, the daily runs uh, sacred. So 
if you if you need a short-term burst of data, uh, you can go out and collect some data from a machine and run it as an ad hoc run. Uh, just give it some naming convention, something different that you know that it's not a normal manager run, something that you can visually interpret if you're, if you're looking at the console, or something visually someone else could interpret if they're looking at the console as something being not quite uh, scheduled or regular. So we have a couple um, we have a couple examples here. So here's here's an example that's been used in the case of uh, Linux or Unix. So where where you've got certain types of files, you've got daily files, you know things that go in domains, uh, command files, workloads, ad hoc, and so on and so forth. Um, so something like this is inval invaluable. Um, because guaranteed there will come a time when you have so many, uh, so many jobs running, it'll be hard to keep track of them. And if, if you don't have some kind of standard of naming them for yourself from a, from a BPA management perspective, um, it'll be hard to find something uh, when you're a little bit stressed, or at least that's, that's what I found. When I get a little stressed, I don't remember things as well as if I'm completely relaxed. This will make it easier to find things. In the case of a Windows machine, we have a similar type thing where we've got, um, you know, we put analyze stuff in an analyze directory. We keep everything in the local area so that we know it's local to our, our environment. Uh, we keep our manager runs together, um, subdirectory that manages, uh, for example, uh, we have a, an analyze uh, workload characterization we might call GM demo and that's that's involved with the, the manager run GM demo uh, we have subdirectories that contain that information it might be GM demo uh, manager run name GM demo uh, policies we might have a policy that's called GM demo uh, and scripts we might have a script called probably would have a script called GM demo so that way, when I would go in and look at a console, I can follow everything all the way along. So I can start from the manager run, and I can go to all the other uh, moving parts, and I can find them in their particular location that's related to them. Uh, and that just goes back to what we were saying about give some thought as to how you want to set up your environment. And, uh, and, and that can be a dynamic thing. I mean, what you start out in the beginning with uh, may be something that that you end up changing, and it's never too late to change. So uh, another question that that often is uh, um, that comes up is uh, proxy hosts. Um, so each proxy host can support about 150 VMware ESX servers. Uh, that's not that's our recommendation. Um, your mileage may vary, uh, you know, but that's a good place to start. Um, you can work with that. You can increase it if you find out that the, that that works well for you and you don't have any performance deviation from what you would expect. Um, again, it's a dynamic thing. You have to, you kind of have to get in there and uh, and run it yourself and get a sense as to well, how does how does this stuff work in my environment? Uh, more information is available here, um, our website. So well, one of the other things that you want to do is, is uh, a general guideline to use when you're, when you're trying to figure out is, you know, how much space do you need? Uh, and this is a good formula to use to get you going. Um, very helpful. So one of the other things that's, that's available now, uh, actually it was 7510 is auto node discovery, which actually uh, we'll go out and it'll discover the nodes for you uh, from our proxy host. Um, and it'll basically uh, create the, the domains and the policies and it'll add the computers from the active manager run, which is kind of a cool thing. Um, if your numbers of, com if, the, if the number of computers exceeds uh, the number that you've preset in your domain policy, which is you're asked for this information in a, in a, in a dialogue when you actually start this discovery, um, it will adjust it for that uh, purpose. Um, and you can also use a text file. So for example, if you have a list of machines that you want to collect data on, but 
you don't want to collect data on all of them. There are exceptions. You could create this list, and you could feed this list to auto node discovery, and it, and it would it would you know read off the list and do that. So um, there are some procedural steps to run this, um, and this will sort of simplify it. Is first you run the uh, the auto node discovery command, uh, and then you modify the manager run that's created by the script from the output, and then you submit and you schedule uh, you schedule the run. So, for example, in the step one, you would actually run the command run it in command mode or create mode. And uh, in the case of Linux, you would run something like this on the console, uh, and in Windows, you would run run this in command line. And it'll start a dialog, and the dialog will come back, and it'll it'll ask you for this information. So, uh, in here, we're, we're going to talk about, and, and you guys probably know this from working with Windows and and um, and Unix, is uh, the naming convention are domains in uh, Unix, and we call them policies in Windows. So anyway, the, the script will come back and will prompt you for the name of the domain, uh, the name, name of a manager command file, um, or an MSF file in Windows. Uh, and then it'll, uh, it'll create a, uh, an output directory for you. So then what you do is you take that script um, that's come out from the AutoNode discovery, and you can edit it with the GUI or you know, a text editor if you want. There are certain things that you need to change, so you, you need to pay attention to it. So you have to specify a workload characterization. Characterization. You need to also make sure that the time zone is set right. Um, this works OK. And it, this works fine in Windows, but in Unix, you have to actually make sure you've got the time zones right. Um, yeah, in Windows, same thing. Uh, just make sure that. Uh, the time zone will work right, but it's always good to check. Um, you open the script and make any additional changes and, and then schedule it. Uh, step three is you actually schedule schedule the script for automatic execution. Um, there's also more, some more information here that talks about using AutoNode discovery with a text file. Uh, so that's something good if, if you want to if you want to go a little deeper in this. Um, and, and this is just kind of an overview, uh, so this will give you sort of a taste of um, how this all works. So I want to talk a little bit about how to do this with a list. Uh, so if I, if I refer back to this document here, I just want to go back and just say a little bit about this. So, for example, um, you know, you can use one host name per line. Um, so that would be the host name. This would be the alias name. Um, you can use an IP address. So your text file would look like this. Um, and I and I think it's it's pretty pretty much a, a standard file that we've seen before when we're using any kind of proxy work. Um, then again, you set up, uh, set up the manager run. So here's some, some good references to use. Um, this document's been around for a little while. Uh, but virtually everything in it is, has either been automatically incorporated into, into what is now a current release of the product, or there's some good ideas of, of variables you can change. So by all means, help yourself to this. And it's, it's, uh, I've used it for many years. Um, it was written by, uh, I believe it was written by Mike Pasco, who's, just, who's, the, uh, who's the god of support. He's just a uh, yeah, brilliant man. Um, how do you create a silent install package? Uh, this is a good one. Uh, one thing I would like to add here is if, you, if you're uh, in cases where you have a lot of machines and you have to create the silent install package, um, it's most likely that you're, gonna, you're not going to want to go to each one of those machines and touch them and do the install. So you're going to want to come up with a silent install. And this is a, this is a good document to use. Uh, one thing that I would like to suggest 
is if you've never done a silent install before you just go ahead and, and put it out there and do it, uh, make sure you least have at least gone through the manual install process first so that you get a good sense of what the silent install will do. It's uh, certainly not as, uh, obviously it's not as visual as what you would get with an interactive installation, but uh, it's good to, to have a good sense as to what is it you're going to get from the silent install. Another good uh, article is, you know, well, what happens if you have too many, uh, too many machines that, that are recommended put on a proxy and you need to split them? Uh, so this is a good article for that. Okay. So uh, patches. So w one of the things that, that is uh, common is, you know, we may not always know what patch level we're at, or at least I never did. So, you know, and I couldn't necessarily remember where to go look for them. So uh, this information is in Visualizer, um, and it's good to know that it's there, um, and this slide will give you some sense as to where to find it. Um, if you get a copy of the presentation, then you'll have that. Um, so also, uh, there's a set of VGD files, which are, are actually files that are customized uh, by, I believe, by Debbie, and, and she's uh, Debbie Sheets, uh, who's actually built these files that will actually provide some additional information within Visualizer outside of the product. And they work really good, and they're based on uh, ideas and input from, the, from customers of items that they want to see and to get data out of the database. And this is a good example of information you can get out of that VGD file. And to get new VGD files, you can get them here. More about patches. So, you know, this is where you get the latest patches. Uh, there's information that in that's in there that will talk about your version and your release. So that's that's good. After a while, I found it that uh, I had that memorized. So that was good. So after a while, you won't need to worry about this unless it's a brand new release and you want to make sure uh, it's in the same place. Uh, so uh, Windows has a patch tool and, uh, and Unix has a, a patch tool and maintenance or patch tool. And this is what the interface looks like when you, looks like when you start it up. So one of the ways you can determine your patch level is you can actually execute this command uh, and it'll bring up this interface um, and it'll have these these particular tabs on it and you can take a look. Now if you're not sure if you've got any patches, excuse me, uh, you can click on the uninstall patches and it'll come back up and it'll tell you which patches you have, you know, that it thinks it can uninstall. If you go in here and there isn't anything, well then you're at the base level of the product and if it's, you know, if if you haven't changed it in a couple years, it's probably time to put patches on. So, you know, I want to talk a little bit about general manager, which is a, a feature that's in Perceiver. So, uh, be, uh, before general manager, or actually it might have been simultaneously, I, I don't know, historically, uh, but anyway, uh, in the Windows console, uh, which is what I use, and I'll in, in also in the Unix console, uh, there is this particular report that I'm sure you've all seen. Um, it's referred to as UCM status reports uh, in the Windows um, console. It comes up under the, the, uh, the console tab, uh, status. And it basically gives you information about your runs and, you know, how to collect work, how to transfer work. You know, it's something that's really helpful that you would come in every day and you would check. Um, and historically coming from not having any of this to getting some of this a few releases back, that uh, was a big help. Um, but things have improved and, uh, and developed further along the way. So in Perceiver, there was a there's the same concept, although it's enhanced. And you may be using it now, or you may not have seen it, and you may still be working right off your console, and that's okay. Uh, it's a good idea to, when you get some cycles to go check out uh, General Manager and Perceiver. But basically, it takes uh, multiple consoles, uh, and you can bring them all in, and you can look at all the runs from um, all the different consoles. 
Um, it gives you the manager run information, in particular node information. Um, you can start, stop the runs. You can view the UCM reports. Uh, if you're running OSR, you can get that information, which is very detailed runs about analyze and predict, uh, reports about how those work, uh, um, collection, uh, the processing exception report. You can take a look at the consoles, how are the consoles configured. Um, it's actually a pretty cool uh, variable tool. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, varied options is what I'm trying to say. Uh, there is some really good information here um, from an overview perspective to give, to give you a, a sense as to how does that all you know, hang together and how does it work. And we'll cover a little of that here, um, but our docs are, are actually improving as we go along, so this is a good spot to look. So with general manager, you get a, 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 common, a commonality between the consoles, and you can get, as I mentioned before, you can get all your consoles from one place, uh, get information about the nodes, the runs, um, you know, things that worked, things that didn't work. It's allowed you to figure out what's not working, what's broken, and how do you fix it. Um, you can actually do multiple selects on recovery and stop runs, which is a, a good thing um, to be able to, in the case if you need to recover more than one run, you can do multi-selects on it, which is a good thing. Um, and the other thing is you get some sense as to, well, you know, how long is this, how long is this hasn't been working? So that's another good thing that, to be able to go back and look at. So this is how it works. So you've got this uh, general manager client, uh, and you have a, um, a server, um, general manager servers. And these all run on the particular uh, console that you're running. And they're basically standalones. Not overly complicated uh, from, from where we sit. Um, and this is, you know, it's good to know how it's set up because in case it doesn't work, you have a sense as to, well, you know, what do we look at? Um, it usually works. Okay, so, so how do you get going with this? Well, first you install Perceiver. Um, you, you put in your consoles. Um, you add the consoles to the, to the um, general manager. You build some runs. You schedule some runs. Uh, you check the status of the run. And hopefully, hopefully you don't have too much of this, but then you know you can you can recover the runs. So if something happens to the run, some part of the processing uh, sequence fails, you can actually go back and and general manager will actually take this stuff and put it back together for you uh, in most cases. This is what the the home screen looks like. Uh, you know, pretty much perceiver stuff. Um, you know, here's your categories, you know, view counts, let's add list notes, whatever. Um, stop scheduled runs, recovered runs, console, note history, exception reports, manager run logs if you need to get really detailed. Um, we're actually going to go through this fairly quickly. Um, um, it's unusual for me to, to um, be speaking where I don't have any interaction for people, so I pause sometimes and uh, wondering where the questions are, uh, but I know that I can't hear you. So anyway, okay. So uh, you, when, you, when you're setting this up, you need to come up with the port, the name of the console, and the port number. Um, once you set it up, then you can actually list the consoles that you've, you've got running, as you can see here. I didn't have a lot of consoles to use, but I had a couple just to give you some sense. Uh, one of the most valuable things is, you know, when you have a run and you're looking for a particular computer, how do you find it? Uh, because in most cases, I was never able to remember which manager run this particular computer was in. So you, you can actually use these node filters um, to look for them, which is really good. The nodes are cached, so it's easy, uh, easy to rediscover them. You can do wildcard filtering. Uh, if you have a whole set of things that you want to work on, you can send it to a CSV file. It's actually pretty nice. Uh, you can do the same thing with scheduling runs. Uh, again, here's the filter, so you can pull it down by various consoles. 
Um, you can do it by manager runs, which is shown here, and you can filter it by a wildcard. Uh, again, you can you can view all the runs from a, from a Windows perspective. Uh, what this looks like uh, is what you would see in, in the Windows console pretty much with all the tabs. In the Unix console, it's you know you have the whole console, the concept of the tabs, um, although the bar is a little different in, in Linux, but it, it's essentially the same thing. Yeah, easy to get used to. Uh, again, um, you can select a particular console to create a manager run. So what you would do is you can use an existing list or a policy, um, or you can create a new one. Uh, you know, just working through the tabs here. Um, in, the, in, in this particular in this particular case, we would be you know collecting new data every day. So basically, you know, each one of these tabs, and we won't go through all of them because there's a whole bunch, but they're basically the same things that you would, if you're using the product today, you would be seeing in in similar locations. Um, on the adding computers, so you know we have these uh, other tabs that let you make your choices as to how do you want to find the particular machines. You've got your policy name or list name. Um, you've got your policy directory. Uh, where do you keep your policies? Uh, this goes back to um, the naming conventions that we talked to before. So you can see if you have something like, for example, if you kept your policies in a policy directory, then this would always say policy. And you could, uh, you know, if you were gone for six weeks and doing something else and you came back and you said, well, you know, why is this running out of this, this directory when it should be a policy directory? And that's a pretty good indication as to why it's not working. So uh, going back, uh, that's one of the reasons to keep track of um, your files. Um, and your console data repositories, standard items that you're, you're asked for already. And, and so what happens is it, you know, it brings up a list. Um, it wants to know the name of the proxy, and then it'll go out to the proxy, uh, and then it'll say, okay, well, you know, what domains do I pick up the proxy? Uh, and you check one of those. Uh, and then it'll give you a list of nodes to select from. And you can you can just check those boxes if you want to discover those nodes. In the case of agent machines, it's very similar. Uh, you, you still get another list. Um, you can discover nodes by IP address, uh, and it'll go and it'll pull those out. Or you can import your list from a text file, which is pretty useful. Same thing, you get a list, uh, import mode from file, uh, import from list, yeah, here's your list. So you can schedule existing runs uh, that are there. Um, so the schedule runs that run in, the, in your default repository. Oh, or you can find a, a run here. Too bad this arrow doesn't you know, turn around, I don't think it does. No, it doesn't. It's just one direction. Um, so you can find a run in a, in a different location if it's not where you know you expect it to be. Um, so in recovering runs, there's a couple views. There's a summary view and a detailed view. So the summary view is good if you want to go and see what first failed. Uh, it sort of gives you a highlight, uh, high-level overview of what's going on. Uh, and a detailed view, and if you, you know, if you're in the process of recovering runs, you can see the status of whatever of the runs that you're recovering. But in either case, the runs can be recovered from either view. So once you get used to doing it in a certain process that works for you, then you can do it from that window. So uh, exception reports are available in both views, which are, are you've probably all seen those already if you're using the Windows console or um, or the Unix console. Um, you can filter by console run and dates. Um, here's a little, uh, a better view of what that actually uh, menu bar looks like. Um, here's an example of one of my grand runs uh, that failed. Um, 
So basically, and it gives me a message, you know, couldn't locate the entry for the manager run, uh, and it was looking in this directory here. Um, so it lets me get some more information about that, and here's, uh, I was actually looking at it with the detail, uh, and I wanted to, I was curious as to, like, well, you know, what kind of error do I get for this? So, um, so I clicked on the hyperlink, and I got some additional information about this, which is pretty cool. Um, basically, the exception report. There was more information down here, but I was sort of limited on real estate to put it up here. Uh, but I believe there's another another screen of that. Um, this is an example of a, a complete run. You know, not much to be said about when it works. Uh, but it is complete, so you can actually check from this. Uh, you can actually check things from here to find out how they've how they've progressed or failed, or it gives you some history as to last time they were recovered. The node history report is really good uh, because again, it gives you the um, opportunity to hyperclick on the particular errors. Like, like you get some collect errors. These are our messages that come from collect. These would be messages that come from transfer, and these would be messages that would come from processing, like visualizer or um, yeah, like visualizer or some other reason, and they're hyperlinked. Uh, if you need to, uh, if you, if you want the if you want this in a file to show somebody else, or if you want to take the file to the uh, to the coffee shop to read, you know what work you got to do, then you can print it out, take it with you. Or although nowadays, I guess you can just take your computer to the to the coffee shop, so shows how old I am. Okay, so uh, in the case of the, the warning messages, if you hyperclick on them, it'll give you the information about the particular warning. It'll tell you the missing groups that were missing out of that particular uh, uh, collection run. Um, it also will give you more detailed information. Looks like this one didn't come out real well. But anyway, this keyword is a, something that you can actually use when you're searching our, our uh, knowledge base to find out uh, you know, what's going on with this run to give you more information. Um, this whole mechanism is really a good thing because uh, with the advent of improved messaging uh, where it's been tied to this, you can actually get some uh, remediation which I think comes out here now. So uh, I, in the current version, what I have found is there's like, I think 120 some IDs. And each one of these IDs obviously has a different severity error uh, keyword. Uh, gives you something that you might see in the log or you probably would see in the log. It gives you an explanation, which is really helpful. Uh, whether you use general manager or not, I mean, if you're looking, looking at a log or anything, this gives you a good sense as to, you know, what's going on with this. Uh, gives you some uh, some ideas as to how to debug this, um, which is really good. Um, I mean, the thing about support is you can call support and we'll help you, which is a you know a great thing. Uh, however, if if uh, if there's a time lag, for example, if you call support in the morning but you don't hear back from support till the afternoon, you've got a time lag and maybe you're in a hurry. Um, you can actually take a look at some of this stuff. And actually, you can maybe figure it out yourself. Uh, and by the time support calls, you can say, well, you know, I already figured it out, and this is what I need. Um, just some examples of some common messages. Uh, collect a registration. Um, can give you some workarounds. You guys are lucky. I'm not going to go through 122 of them. Not happening. Um, Certain other you know, metric group not available, one shots. And basically, so this is a really good thing, and this, this information is available from the hyperlinked information. It comes up in the little boxes. Uh, exception reports, uh, which is another, another uh, category on the, on, the, uh, on the screen for um, general manager. Um, it basically shows you know, information about the collection. You know, why didn't it work? What's missing? Why didn't it transfer? What happened in the processing you know, with the visualizer files, or maybe hardware tables were missing? Uh, population errors, you know, it takes the information from Automator. So all the components will have the available information in the exception report, which is 
which is really a good place to start if you're having any kind of an anomalous behavior on any of your, your runs. Um, just an example of the uh, exception report that comes out from a particular node. Um, you know, there's within the um, general manager. And from here, you can also do recovery, and you can also do the script property. So you can go back and see, well, you know, why did this fail? Was, did I have the wrong parameters specified? Uh, manager run logs. Um, we've probably all looked at these, um, but it allows us to, to view them from here, uh, which is good, uh, very convenient. Uh, the manager uh, consoles, you know, just generally how to do it is, you know, things that you can you can use is you can use the UCM status reports, uh, best one manager, process the out file, exception reports. So uh, there's another component uh, that's called general manager light that's an adjunct component or supplemental. Uh, component and what it does is it takes all the information from all the BPA consoles and gathers all the logs for you. Um, in the case of Unix or Linux, you can schedule a script uh, to run daily, uh, and if you run this daily, you'll get an, uh, a pretty good um, a pretty good idea of what's going on on a daily basis through your entire environment over a period of time. Um, it's compatible with the, the back releases seven five ten. Um, 9.0, and uh, it'll be more, uh, more. What's uh, the right word? Uh, it'll be in 9.5, and it'll be. Um, I can't. I can't think of the right word. But anyway, it'll be in 9.5. Uh, basically, it does uh, collection, transfer, and population information. And it also tracks the information that goes to BCO. So that's a pretty big deal because you, if you're not using BCO right now, you, the chances are maybe good that you'll be using it in the future. And you may be using it uh, integrating with our other products with BPA. So one of the challenges you have is if something goes awry in the BCO and maybe you're not seeing some information and you want to know why. Well, one of the places you'll be able to look is you'll be able to look at this report and, and get some determination as like, did it happen in BPA and where in BPA did it happen that it didn't that I didn't get this data passed all the way down the line to BCO? It, it'll save us a lot of time, save you a lot of time, you know, because maybe it's just a simple case of the data is not in BCO because there was a failure in the in the manager run, um, or maybe the population failed. Uh, but you'll be able to check this in one place, and this report will give you that information. Pretty cool idea. There's uh, um, there's more information more information that's available at this KA. Uh, so to get to get this working, there's an automation script that's available from here. Um, the information will be included in a, a future BPA nine service packets available in seven five ten service pack two uh, cumulative service two. Um, support will know where that is. Um, there's a script that prompts you for information. Um, you just go through the script. You fig, you know, you you reply to the um, to the queries from it, uh, and then you run this, and that'll get it going. Um, just on a side note, uh, what it also does is it creates some output charts for you, and uh, this is an example of it. And, and you can see this. It's actually pretty far off. Um, so here's your your, uh, your BPA configure nodes, right? So there's there's a bunch of them in this one here. So and here's your your legend over here, and then if you drop down on here, your uh, you know the nodes that collected. Um, and, and by the way, this chart isn't necessarily a symbolic of a of a perfect environment. It's just uh, an example um, because of course everything would be you know everything would be in the same line, but uh, Bad joke. Okay, so then you've got your um, notes that actually transferred here, and the notes that actually got processed, and the ones that got put into BCO. So of course, you know it would all be, it would all be in BCO. They would all be up here. Uh, but anyway, just to give you a sense, and then you can get this information for individual consoles, and it uh, your general manager light will actually 
put this information out for you automatically uh, by using that. And as I mentioned, it more will be available in, in uh, 9.5, um, and there will be a service pack for it or a patch for it. There will be a patch for it that you can use in 9.0. Um, so that would be a pretty cool thing to, to, to use if you've got um, all these moving parts and it's a good place to be able to pinpoint what's going on on them. Uh, some common uh, uh, useful articles. Uh, since there are a lot of missing parts to performance assurance, it's good to get some sense as to, you know, how do I fix this if it's not working? Um, so these are things that you can search for in the knowledge base or you can just go to the hyperlink. Uh, you know, basic ideas to fix the, the BPA servers. Data transfer collection issues. A lot of the, and some of this information is going to be available in those exception reports, and some of it's going to be in the node history reports that we looked at in general manager. Uh, some of the remedial steps that you can take. Uh, service team and problems. Um, initial debugging of perceive. Um, one that that if you've done this a couple times, you don't need to know how to do it. But if you've never done it, it's good to know how to get things to the FTP site. All the components have uh, some kind of touch-sensitive help by clicking on a help button, or in some cases, there's a question mark icon that you can click on. Click on. Um, our online doc is here. I encourage you to go check it out. Um, it's. Uh, I'll be frank. When I first started using the online documentation, I was a, I was the old PDF type of guy, and. Uh, you know, that was very convenient, but I found that over, over a period of time, um, I'm actually able to, you know, find things easier on the online documentation because it's all in one location and I can do a search. And the documentation has greatly improved, um, and it will continue to evolve and improve. So by all means, go check it out. There's lots of good stuff. It's all in one place. You don't have to open multiple manuals. You don't have to figure out what manual it is. Um, search the knowledge base. Um, you can sit there all day long and search if you want. Um, there's lots of uh, articles that will give you ideas as to how to resolve problems, questions that you have. Um, if, you, if you're looking for something in particular and it's not there, you know, let support know and we can help. And that would be us here. Okay. So, I just want to kind of remind you a little bit about one of the things that, that we need when you open a ticket is a, a, um, a description of the problem that will help us, you know, figure out what's going on. So in a lot of cases, a support person may already have the answer to the problem, but um, being able to interpret what you've provided as in the way of input and problem description, it may be a challenge if it's if it's vague. So. Uh, if we don't have a clear description uh, of the problem, and think about, uh, and I know this is a very primal, uh, but, but think about explaining it to your, your significant other about your problem. Um, uh, how would you explain it to them? Because, of course, they will have no reference to the problem, of course, and they know nothing about BPA. But, but just you know, bear in mind that typically we're not living in your space and we're not living in your head. So when, when you have a question with support, the more information you can provide us, the better off you will be because we'll be able to handle your, your query faster. So uh, we really want to help you get going. Um, you know, it is really important to us that you be able to use the products. And the other thing is uh, that you enjoy using the products, otherwise you wouldn't be doing this. Um, so the best description that you can give us to help us get going would be, would be good. Um, so some of the common things, and I'm sure you guys, have, uh, we drive you crazy sometimes. We ask for this and this and this and this, and oh, why do you need so much? But uh, sometimes we do. We just don't have enough information from, from your description, and, and we just have to get more. So certainly the product version, the platform, the patch levels, if you know what those are. If you don't, we can find them in the log. But if anything you can give us. The screenshots, great. So if you have an expectation that you should see something that looks like this, and but it looks like that. Send us, send us both, uh, and explain. You know, hey, you know, this is what's going on. I expect to see this because this is in the other release. This is in the new release. They don't match up. What's going on? 
um, collections not working right uh, logs, uh, the BPA logs, the uh, uh, whether it be a proxy server or an agent, um, that's great information to have. Actually, we almost always ask for that unless it's something we can determine without a log. Um, UDR data, which is the raw data that comes, so we can maybe we could recreate the problem on our end. Visualize the file, same thing. Uh, we can take that and we can run that in our environment, see if we can reproduce the problem. Automator log, real real helpful if if something has gone wrong with Automator. Um, usually pretty obvious. Um, you know, you could probably figure that out yourself, but it might be something we would ask for. UCM status log. So these are, are kind of things that are useful. So if you can anticipate. Uh, you know, if you have a sense as to where the problem might be, but you can't quite figure out what it is, send that along. Um, we've got plenty of space. Um, additional documentation. Uh, as I mentioned before, the performance assurance doc is here. Uh, the search capability is great. Um, the communities is a really good thing. Um, if you're not using communities because you haven't had a lot of time, when you get a second and you're, you're looking for something to do, go out there and check it out. Um, there's a lot of information from other people like you and some people like us from, from, um, from the company, from BMC. Um, but there's other practitioners that are writing things out in the communities too, and it's a good place to post a question. Um, uh, other previous uh, best practice seminars are located at, out on the community site, and this is a page. Um, if you're not registered for the community site, I encourage you to do that. It's, it's not really hard. Um, it's web-based. Um, okay. So this is the part where I would say, are there any questions? But since I can't hear you, um, I, I want to thank you for you know spending the time, you know, and uh, and listening to me talk. And I hope uh, the information was useful. Um, and I wish you well in your capacity capacity management roles. And uh, thank you very much. So thanks, Tim. Uh, everyone as well, thanks for joining and paying attention. Uh, we will have future webinars. And as you uh, all have received the invite for this one, you'll receive the invite for future webinars. Uh, in addition, uh, we will be posting the uh, recording and content uh, on our community site in the next uh, couple of days, uh, as well as the, uh, the Q&A information as well. Thank you all very much, and uh, have a wonderful rest of the day or, or morning or evening, wherever you are. And thank you. That does conclude today's presentation. Thank you for your participation.